0: The San Francisco Experience Podcast, brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 22, Episode 6, California's High Alzheimer's Cases, in conversation with Kumar Rajan, Professor Rush University Medical Center. Our guest today is Kumar Rajan, professor of internal medicine, Rush Medical College, and the director of the Institute for Healthy Aging. His research interests include Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. He joins us from his office in Chicago. Hello, Kumar, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for the wonderful opportunity to be on your show.
0: Well, thank you. And Kumar, please take a moment to share your biography and your research with our listeners.
1: Thank you again, Jim. Um, I am a professor, as you said, in the Department of Internal Medicine at Rush, and I also direct the Rush Institute for Healthy Aging in Chicago. I received my PhD from the University of Washington School of Public Health, in 2009 and trained in Biostatistics Epidemiology. I joined Rush in 2009 as an assistant professor and um, got to work on the Epidemiology of Alzheimer's Disease here at this institute. Currently, we lead about three studies on Epidemiology of Alzheimer's Disease. Uh, One is the Midlife Study called the Parent-Offspring Resilience Cognitive Health Study. Um, The second is the Older Adult Study, the Chicago Health and Aging Project Study, which generated the data for this estimate for uh, the county and the state. And the third is the Hispanic Cohort of Aging Population Study. I published over 120 peer-reviewed manuscripts, and I'm funded by the National Institute for Health.
0: Very impressive indeed. Kumar, please tell us about the work that you did to map the prevalence of Alzheimer's disease and dementia in the United States. And of course, the top three states where there are the most Alzheimer's cases are California, Florida, and Texas. So please take a moment and tell us about your work in mapping this prevalence Across the United States, all 50 states and 3,142 counties. Very comprehensive study. Thank
1: you, Jim. It was a great amount of work that we had put into addressing this very important topic. Um, as we know, Alzheimer's disease and related dementia is a tremendous health, social, and economic burden in the United States with the aging population uh, and all the baby boomers getting older, we are expecting to see a large number of increases in the Alzheimer's cases going forward. Um, there is also tremendous financial cost of caring for people with Alzheimer's disease expected to be around 320 to $350 billion in 2022. So we have a very strong need to improve programs on prevention, detection, treatment, and care for people with Alzheimer's disease. Um, So this manuscript that we wrote had that goal in mind to examine and to study the area-specific estimates of Alzheimer's disease to give us a better strategy and design better preventive health program for people who are at risk for the disease.
0: It seems as though, from your study, the geography and the distribution of Alzheimer's cases here in the United States Seems to defy geography. It appears to be a national phenomenon, whether it's California, Florida, Texas, of course, Chicago, a big concentration. Then you also cited, I think, three other counties, namely Miami Dade, Baltimore, Maryland and the third county i don't have that one uh, that one here in front of me but there were three principal counties that you cited as being uh, as having a even an even higher incidence of alzheimer's what did your research show the reason for that why higher incidence in those particular counties than than in other counties Is it an environmental factor? Is it, what are the factors at play here?
1: So what we did here is we looked at the demography of people who were living in these counties. So in terms of the states, we saw quite a bit of variation in the prevalence of the disease across the U.S., the Northeast, the Southern states, especially Florida, and and parts of California, had fairly modestly high prevalence. Uh, I think they were in the top 10. Um, but if you look at the number of people who had the disease, you can definitely see more people who lived in California had had the disease. So if you look at states with the highest number of people with Alzheimer's and dementia, California was on the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason being that California had a lot of people who were 65 years and older, I think the total was close to, uh, in terms of the state, the total was close to 6 million, whereas if you looked at Florida, the total was close to 4.6 million. So California had a lot of people who were in the older age category, seniors especially, who were 65 years and older. And California also had quite a bit of diversity in its population. So Hispanic population were at higher risk for disease. People who were 85 years and older were at much greater risk for disease by almost like 15 fold higher risk. So there's a lot of different reasons why the states and some of the counties had higher prevalence of the disease. But moving on to the counties a little bit more, we saw that Los Angeles County was one of the largest counties and it had the highest number of people with the disease projected to be close to 190,000. Mm-hmm. The county also had substantial number of people who were older and seniors. So some of the reasons for seeing this elevated number in California was due to a larger number of seniors living in those areas and having people with more diversity where the risk of the disease was higher among the minorities, especially Hispanics and African-Americans.
0: What do you think are the reasons for that that higher rate of the disease among Hispanics and black people here in California or, for that matter, anywhere in the United States? Why those particular two demographies?
1: So in terms of risk factors, <laughs> if you focus firstly on the social determinants on the socioeconomic status, African Americans and Hispanics belong to have a lower socioeconomic status. So that is definitely a driver. In terms of lifestyle, the amount of people that partake in more healthy lifestyle, essentially tied to social social determinants. So people who are more physically active, people who are more cognitively active, or people who eat healthy and nutritious diet they all seem to have lower risk. And a lot of these chronic health conditions, such as, say, hypertension, say, diabetes, and, say, stroke, they are fairly higher among some of the minority populations as well, probably due to the social determinants. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these risks being elevated in the minority population can be attributed to mixture of several of these factors, social determinants, lifestyles, psychosocial health, more depression, more loneliness can increase your risk for the disease, and definitely having more chronic health conditions like hypertension and cardiovascular disease, that increases the disease, the risk for the disease as well. So a lot of different factors that can contribute to minorities having higher risk for the
2: disease.
0: Having identified some of those social determinants, which seems to cause a higher rate of Alzheimer's particularly among Hispanic people and black people can we say that Alzheimer's to a certain extent is a lifestyle disease and if so is it possible for us to change our lifestyle and therefore reduce our risk of Alzheimer's definitely
1: there are there is quite a bit of literature suggesting that improving lifestyle definitely reduces the risk for the disease, improving lifestyle also reduces the risk for other chronic health conditions, mm-hmm. especially cardiovascular disease and hypertension and diabetes. So it definitely helps if you have an improved and a better lifestyle. It definitely reduces the risk for the disease going moving forward.
0: Of course, the research that you've done here I assume, is going to be disseminated among all of the public health authorities throughout the United States. And particularly with the baby boom generation, of which I'm a member, particularly the baby boom generation who are now entering 65 and older and therefore at higher risk because it appears that Alzheimer, of course, is is more prevalent among the, the elderly. Are you seeing a, the public health authorities taking up this information and launching campaigns to educate the public, particularly those at greater risk? reduce their risk of Alzheimer's? Are you you seeing a big drive by public health authorities at this point, given the fact that there are so many baby boomers who, if these lifestyle are left unchecked, will probably translate into an even greater wave of Alzheimer's disease five, ten years down the road?
1: That is a terrific question, Jim. That is something that we should all strive to do better is to have more engaging public health programs and helping prevention, helping in prevention of the disease. I have been working uh, closely with the Alzheimer's Association and during one of the discussions, I was told that the association was going to put together a state and a county specific uh, report to be provided to public health officials and other officials within each county and state that might help engage them in a better discussion in looking at programs that can help people living with the disease or at risk of the disease in those areas. So, yes, I think there is some work that is being done currently. As before, I think we can definitely do better.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell us about the Chicago Health and Aging Project, CHAP. Of course, Cook County is the the county in which Chicago is located tell us about that project and how that interfaces with dementia and alzheimer's disease
1: uh, thank you for the question jim the, this is a study that was started in 1993 and is still ongoing and the study has made about 36,000 cognitive assessments over all these pretty much three decades of Mm -hmm. collecting cognitive and health information from people. And the study also consists of a large number of African-Americans who actually live in the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So there is a a big presence of minorities within the cohort that makes us very geared towards making those interpretations and these estimates for a white uh, population. The study started in 93, and it made what are called triennial population cognitive assessments uh, and collected a whole different bunch of information. So we collected the age of the participant at each assessment. We know their sex. uh, We know their uh, race and ethnicity. We know their education. We know their lifestyle. We know the social determinants, social health. We know their socioeconomic status. So we have a lot of information on these people. So what we did was we used our study with this large number of assessments that we have made in the population, 36,000 of those, and we asked the question, okay, if we are to understand in terms of a population, uh, what are the factors that Sort of drive these prevalence estimates. Mm-hmm. And we came up with some sort of a um, modeling approach where we used our study and used the National Center for Health Statistics and put them both together in trying to see if we use our estimate to see what the population behavior looks like or the population level of cognition and Alzheimer's disease looks like. And we sort of projected it Um, Across the United States, what would we expect to see? So this project is essentially an extension of all those assessments that were made uh, over the last two to three decades.
0: Well, that's very impressive. Since 1993, so for 30 years, you have been tracking through CHAP, Chicago Health and Aging Project, you've been tracking uh, 36,000 plus individuals in the Chicago area and I commend you for the fact that there's a within your cohort there's a strong presence of African Americans of course reflective of the the large African American population in Chicago but so often we hear criticisms of of studies that leave out large Portions of the population, particularly minority populations, African-American or Hispanic, for instance. So kudos to you and to the Rush Medical Center and the Chicago Health and Aging Project for ensuring that this project is, in fact, reflective of the diversity of the population. So that's, uh, that, that gives even greater authority I would say, to the study. Let's come back to, again, the factors. We, we talked about, there are, there are multiple factors, as you said, diet, socioeconomic issues, exercise, among others. One of the factors that you that you didn't mention, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are, are environmental factors. Of course, to the extent that you cited three, the study cites uh, three large Urban counties in the United States with the highest prevalence: Miami-Dade, Baltimore, Maryland, and Bronx, New York, and of course Los Angeles and Cook County also are, are two large counties. But to the extent that they're urban urban locations. Are there particularly environmental risks and threats of air pollution? For instance, I'm thinking of Southern California. Of course, I'm from California. I live here in California. And Los Angeles, of course, has has a problem with smog. It has a problem with unclean air. Are environmental risk factors like that playing a greater role in the onset of Alzheimer's? Did your, did your study address that?
1: That's a great question, Jim. Uh, I just want to sort of let the listeners know that I spent a few years at University of California, Davis. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that we had in that part of California was the fires. So I definitely know that California especially has a lot of wildfires. And air pollution, and we have looked at air pollution and noise pollution and various components of air pollution, and and there seems to be an elevated risk for people who are exposed to air pollution for Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. So definitely, there is some link there, but to be for this report, we did not put that into factor. Um, But this is, again, a great question, and I think that we need to go back and we need to sort of look at the geographical differences in these environmental factors and try to determine how these environmental factors can increase the area-specific risk for Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. So I think that's a terrific question. Um, we haven't done it for this report, but we fully intend to look into those questions moving forward.
0: Now, of course, to the extent that the uh, the population of the United States, the vast preponderance of our population is in cities, in urban areas, large cities, medium-sized cities, small cities. But as Americans, we are largely an urban population of course you also you studied 3142 counties so within that sample of 342 3142 counties there must have been some rural counties there must have been counties that were not urban and if so was there a difference in the prevalence of alzheimers between the urban counties, and of course you you cite uh, Miami Dade, Baltimore, Bronx, New York, Los Angeles, Cook County, all all major urban centers. Was there a a difference, if any, between the prevalence of Alzheimer's disease in those counties and other urban counties versus rural counties?
1: Again, that's an exceptional question, Jim. I think that what might have must have transpired here is that. The counties and the states we are looking at, they are fairly densely populated. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the prevalences are sort of high in these counties and states when there is a lot more variation in the population that lives there. Mm-hmm. And definitely the density it does matter quite a bit. But in terms of rural and urban, if you think about rural counties, rural counties are typically smaller in terms of population density. So mm-hmm. the people that are affected are definitely smaller. But they do, there are some counties which have a higher prevalence because there are people who actually live there who are more seniors. Um, so there is a little bit of a population shift with people moving from rural areas into urban areas especially for job and employment and school and what happens is the population that's left is more senior so definitely there are some differences in rural and urban but just because of the sheer volume of the urban population uh, and the and minorities being much higher and in those urban populations and the risk being higher, it seems like there is more. there are more states and counties who are not represented in terms of their rural population. Mm-hmm. So definitely there are some differences. But again, the differences might be due to the population characteristics. But I think it's an excellent question that you asked about the urban and rural differences. There are differences between the urban and rural populations. And we are, again, hopeful that that's something that we will look at in more detail in our next research topic, looking at the urban and rural differences and what that means for populations that live there.
0: Fascinating. And of course, recently, I think we were all heartened to hear about this new therapy, Correct my pronunciation, but I think it's called lecanemab, which is a an early Alzheimer's treatment drug, and it's being marketed under the name of leqembi, and apparently it has slowed memory loss by up to 27 percent. I read, and slowed the decline in quality of life by up to 56 percent, but that only among early Alzheimer's patient. Kumar, could you give us a sense of the importance of this breakthrough medicine? Is this the the moment of creation, if you will, in the Alzheimer's story that we've been waiting for, a drug that will stop and reverse the effects of Alzheimer's, albeit in the the early stages of Alzheimer's? What are your your thoughts about that? It it seemed to me like a, a rather hopeful story. But again, I'm a layperson. What, what do you think?
1: Lacanumab is definitely a step in the right direction. I feel that there are still a lot of questions that need to be addressed. The reduction in the rate of cognitive decline by about 27% is truly fascinating. And I think it's a great first step. We're not sure at this point in terms of what the trial showed, uh, what the long-term effects of the trial, of the drugs, of, of that drug is. Does it go beyond, going beyond the period of time that was shown? Is there benefit of using the drug? If so, who are the people who are going to benefit the most? So there, I, I think that it's a step in the right direction. It's a huge step in the right direction. And then the question comes about access to the medication? I think that is a fairly big question that also needs to be addressed. But the drug itself is is a step in the right direction, but I think there's more work to be done. There's more we need to understand about the long-term effects of the drug, 27% over a short period of time is awesome. But going long-term, how much benefit are we going to see, I think those questions Probably will need to be thought of and addressed moving forward.
0: Well, your study, of course, I, I think it's a it's a groundbreaking study. I think it's a it marks a a beginning point, if you will, in the the fight against Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Is this an ongoing study? I mean, you referred to the Chicago Health and Aging Project, which is different from the from the other study. But is your study an ongoing? study that that will be revised on annual, semi-annual basis, um, how often will this study be updated and added to? Because it seems to me that with the research that you're doing, so much of this research is so important to get the word out, particularly uh, as regards lifestyles where, where all of us can be modifying our behaviors and what have you to stem the tide of this inevitable wave of dementia and Alzheimer's disease which is coming our way particularly for the uh, the baby boom generation and then of course gen- generations behind it but tell us about the the ongoing aspects of the study that you've completed
1: you you have a lot of terrific questions jim so thank you again <laughs> for asking that so this what we did this time around was our first step and addressing a very important public health, population health-related question. What does the disease look like Mm -hmm. across the United States? We are actually going to go a little step ahead. Uh, Well, we're going to do multiple things moving forward. We actually are forming a consortium called the REACH Consortium, which stands for Regional and Ethnic Variations in Alzheimer's, and Cognitive Health Consortium. So the plan of the consortium is to collaborate with multiple studies across the United States. So we have about 10 studies that have agreed to participate all across the U.S. Mm. and we plan to gain a lot more insight into the studies looking at those factors that we discussed earlier in terms of say lifestyle, in terms of say social, or even environmental, to get a much deeper look into what does it look like across the U.S. in terms of these different risk factors, and how are these risk factors regionally, how are they different? How do they impact the disease differently? So there is a lot of different questions that we're going to address with this new consortium that we are putting together, but we do expect to periodically not just update our estimates, but also provide a more elaborate understanding of the disease risk and the disease risk factors across the United States to help the prevention programs get better. Like what is the area, what is the thing that say San Francisco or say LA or say Dallas or say Maryland what can they do that they're not already doing? Mm-hmm. And those questions can be answered a little better once we look at the overall distribution of area-specific risk factors. So we will be able to help them provide that information so they can design better prevent- preventive strategies. So yes, this is going to be an ongoing work. This is just the first step that we did this. But this is going. we're going to take this to the next level and understand in terms of, all these risk factors that we discussed, environmental and non-environmental, what what does it look like across the U.S., and what can we do about it?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Kumar, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, what are your closing thoughts for our listeners?
1: What we found in our study is that there are, the disease is quite variable across the U.S., and as you can see in the county maps, uh, we see some areas which are at very high risk for the disease. And we see areas where there are quite a bit of people who are living with the disease. Mm-hmm. So our hope is that these areas are, are uh, put as high priority for prevention, making sure people have good access to health care, and making sure any disparities that we see in our populations can be reduced, and we can help the baby boomer generation be more healthy, uh, live a healthy lifestyle, um, be active, and be cognizant of their health, and help them lead a good life. I think that really is important, disease-free life. That would be terrific.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Kumar, I want to thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today to share with our listeners the results of the study. And of course, it's not simply California or Illinois or Florida, Texas. You have covered all 50 states, 3,142 counties in the United States. And again, kudos to you and your team for the excellent work that you're doing. And again, very encouraging that this is going to be an ongoing study so that that we as, uh, particularly the baby boom generation and the generation that comes after us and all generations are going to going to benefit from the work that you're doing in the study. So once again, thank you so much for all the work that you and your team have done. And thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for the wonderful opportunity to present our study, Jim. Really had a great time talking with you and and wish you the best.
0: And Kumar, how can our listeners follow you and your research?
1: So we have a study website, www.riha.rush.edu. And we also have a Twitter at Rush underscore R-I-H-A. So we, we routinely put out some tweets when we have some new data, and we also make lifestyle recommendations on there. So please follow us on Twitter, and you can look at our website, and we have some recent information on lifestyle factors. We have some clinical trials that were completed. So there's a lot of good information there if you want to know more about what we are up to.
0: Once again, Kumar, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing those uh, your website and your Twitter handle. Give us your Twitter handle one more time, please. It is
1: Rush, R-U-A-S-H underscore R-I-H-A.
0: Very good. We look forward to having you back later in the year to to give us an update on some of the progress that appears to be coming our way with regard to Alzheimer's research.
1: Thank you, Jim.
0: And for our listeners, today's episode is number 432. The San Francisco Experience Podcast is featured on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, 18 platforms with listeners in 60 countries. FeedSpot recently recognized our podcast in the top 25 California news podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience Podcast with Jim Hurlihy, coming to you from San Francisco.